It's the lens, it's the lens, it's the lens, gotta live diverse. It's the lens, it's the lens, it's the lens, live diverse. You are listening to The Lens Living Diverse, a podcast brought to you by the CNIB Advocacy Team. Join Nisha, Vivi, and I as we speak to individuals with intersecting identities who live with sight loss as they share their unique stories. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of The Lens Living Diverse. I am your host for today. I'm going to be doing it solo, and we have an amazing episode today. So uh, when you look at diversity and then when you throw in disability, more specifically sight loss, something that's so important is mentorship and representation. So I know on uh, episodes in the past, we spoke about the importance of representation and mentorship, especially when you're looking at intersecting identities such as race and disability and even culture. So today, a really fun episode. I have my guest Nav Dylan from the One Eye Collective, and uh, we're going to be chatting about uh, mentorship, representation, and everything in between about her intersecting identities. So Nav, welcome to the Lens Living Diverse. How are you doing today? I am so excited to be here. Thank you so much, Bernard, for giving me the opportunity and uh, taking charge of such an important discussion uh, as it relates to people with vision loss, I'm I'm really excited to just get started. Of course, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure, and I love doing uh, this podcast. I love doing the lens. So I am going to start off by uh, letting you introduce yourselves to the listeners. So uh, if you could tell a little bit about yourself. Of course, yes. So as Bernard mentioned, my name is Nav Dylan. I'm the founder of a not-for-profit called One Eye Collective. I started this not-for-profit um, as I started my advocating journey um, and wanting to help other people in the community of vision loss across the country, specifically from the perspective of uh, people that are in more um, vulnerable communities or visible communities as, as some of the barriers can be quite different. Um, and I, I share that uh, because I am uh, someone that identifies as, as a woman of South Asian background. My parents came from India when they were uh, 17 years old. Um, and, you know, I've had a unique experience um, having vision loss. And about my vision loss, I have a vision impairment, so I'm blind in my left eye, mm. although I have fu- uh, good functional vision in my right eye. So I think that experience, coupled with the fact that I come from a community where there are some barriers that exist, at least when it comes to representation, mental health, um, and maybe the biggest thing was the psychological safety that wasn't really there to talk about what I was going through. All of these things motivated me to start my own initiative where I can, uh, you know, cater to the needs of people whose needs might not be met um, by what's available to the masses. So that's kind of the purpose behind One Eye Collective. Prior to that, I was working in the corporate world. 
I have an MBA from the University of Toronto. Mm -hmm. And uh, those are great experiences. But over the years and during COVID, I just felt a shift. And I really wanted to help this community because I know there are probably other people out there who have experienced what I have. So that's kind of how I got to this point. Wonderful, wonderful. And it's is very unique when you do bring in culture and disability because even uh, for myself being uh, having the Ghanaian culture and then living with sight loss is so different and we all have different stories and uh, we all have different circumstances which other individuals could really relate to so it is amazing that you're coming up with uh, the One Eye Collective and you're sharing your story. And uh, speaking of sharing your story, uh, you did mention you have a unique story uh, to your sight loss. So if you're okay with sharing uh, your your story of living with sight loss. Yeah, I'm, I'm very happy to share my story with uh, sight loss. So I was born with uh, 2020 vision and didn't really experience any issues growing up until I was 20 years old, where I was involved in an accident. I just happened to be standing in the wrong place at the wrong time. It was outside of a nightclub when I was 20 years old, and um, a beer bottle was thrown in my direction. I didn't see it coming, and I kind of just heard something behind me, and as I turned around, I was hit, and then I was on the ground, and the next thing I remember mm -hmm. is waking up in the hospital and seeing my parents and they were emotional and hysterical i just couldn't really feel anything on my face um and it was later on that day that i found out that i was hit with something in the face and we weren't even sure what it was uh the hospital staff weren't sure as well so we did an ultrasound and um, scans just to see if there was any foreign body in the eye. And it turns out there wasn't, but the damage was already done. I had a very large laceration on my left eye, which required uh, sutures that night. And it was uh, that after that night, I never really saw again out of that eye. And uh, years later, after many surgeries to my retina and my cornea, my eye pressure had dropped so low and I was living in chronic pain. Mm -hmm. um, so eventually I met an ophthalmologist who suggested um, or, uh, you know, suggested that I consider the possibility of having my eye eviscerated, which is the procedure that removes most of the contents of the eye, not the complete eye, but the most of the contents of the eye. Um, the other form of that surgery is called an inoculation. Mm. And I think it's important for people to know the difference. Um, so with an inoculation, that is when the complete eye is removed from the orbit. And um, the, that's usually done in more extreme cases where there's a lot of damage. Um, in my case, the damage was to the vision, to the retina. And so the contents of the eye were removed, whereas the seclara or the shape of the eye was still left. So the muscles were attached. And the reason why my ophthalmologist did that is because um, he knew once I start wearing an artificial eye, that I'll still have some movement and functionality in my eye socket. So mm. um, I'm really grateful for that. And yeah, so now I wear an artificial eye um, in my left eye and I advocate for artificial eyes and um, 
Yeah, and it's interesting because you stepped into a new community compared to uh, individuals who were born with sight loss, even for myself, where, and and this is what I say about, uh, I guess, because everybody's so unique with their stories where you have here's uh, yourself where it was acquired sight loss and later on in the years and 20 years old, uh, then you have myself who, I was born with it, but didn't really realize that I had sight loss because I was playing football and basketball and I felt like I I was just like everybody else until I got older and it progressively uh, got worse. So it's so interesting stepping into that new world per se, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And that's why, um, you know, I, I, I guess the story is unique in a sense that sometimes you you don't realize you have this privilege until it's taken away from you. And that in itself can be a very isolating experience. And it certainly was for me. I was in my second year of university. Life was just starting. Um, I was always a huge introvert growing up. And I feel that I was just becoming this social butterfly. And then this injury happened and um, it really impacted the quality of life and so, um, whereas someone that may have been born with the condition, they kind of already knew and they start building that resilience. Uh, my resilience came much later. Um, and I, I think it's in, in retrospect, looking back, I think the way I dealt with it was I internalized it. I didn't want it to affect me and, I was also raised in a community and a family where we didn't really talk about things that were bothering us. We kind of just, we went right into action. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I took that mindset and that's what I applied to my circumstances. And um, in a way it, it was good. It built some resilience, but I wasn't really dealing with the emotional and psychological impacts of now having this new reality where I couldn't see out of one eye and that affects how I um, move about, um, you know, my, my field of vision. So I have to be a little bit more mindful of when I'm maneuvering through tight spaces and whatnot. So there's definitely a large adjustment. And I think um, it can be quite isolating when you've lived your entire life one way but then one day it completely changes exactly and then even adding on to that the relationships with friends and family those definitely definitely change as well mm -hmm. yeah so uh this actually goes into to my next question and uh, something that I bet the listeners uh wonder especially those who have similar identities to you uh the identities of being a South Asian woman do you think those um, identities are represented through organizations? In a short answer, I I don't think so. Not enough anyways. When, when I was going through what I did, um, you know, about a, a little over a decade ago, um, I was so desperately seeking for someone to share their story that looked like me. So I didn't feel like I was the only one. Cause again, like I mentioned, I, I grew up in a community 
and in a household where we didn't really talk about things that were bothering us, we kind of just moved on. But that doesn't change the fact that I was still struggling, um, you know, to make sense of everything, to try to be happy, try to, um, you know, emulate what people were saying that you're so strong, you're so great, look at you. It's like, I was trying to convince myself of these things. And as much as I was, it, it was very isolating because I felt different on the inside. So, um, you know, that was around the time when social media just started to get really big. So I was always online trying to find people um, who had also lost their eye that I could relate to. And, um, you know, there are a few people out there that we can think of, but um, I, I did eventually find some women, um, but they were uh, Caucasian. They didn't look like me. Mm-hmm. And although that was, it was nice to see that there were other women out there that had gone through this and they were open about their stories. It didn't change the fact that there weren't South Asian women talking about this. Um, in fact, I would say um, that experience was exasperated because whenever I did come across another South Asian woman who experienced some kind of vision loss, it was very, um, there was a lot of shame around it. Maybe Mm. their family didn't know, their partner didn't know, very few people knew, they didn't want anyone to know about it. So it just reinstated that belief that this is something that you don't talk about, that this is something that there's a lot of shame around. Mm. Um, And even, you know, in my own extended family, Mind you, I completely understand that a lot of these, um, you know, folks, they had never experienced this. They And everyone means well. You can't assume that people don't mean well. People do mean well, but it's how things are, how things come across that can really impact you. And, um, you know, people would say things about me like, oh, what's what's wrong with her eye? Um, are you the girl with the eye? <laughs> you know, mm. and so it kind of just added to that stigma and what I internalized was, okay, like I'm I'm not supposed to talk about this. And even now when I do try to talk about it um, amongst other, you know, South Asians, it's, it's mixed responses. Some people will say, Oh, it's good that you're talking about it. You know, it's Mm. that new mindset of this is healthy. We, we should talk about that versus, you know, the old set of values where it's, you know, um, uh, we don't really talk about, we don't really acknowledge mental health and we don't really talk about disability. And I do appreciate that, you know, for my parents, for example, they were immigrants to this country. So they were in survival mode. Their whole, um, you know, purpose was to establish um, themselves, their family, get their kids educated. They themselves never had the opportunity to really address um you know, their mental health and their, you know, prioritize self-care. So I think it's one of those things that anyone that is of, you know, an ethnic background or has parents that immigrated to a new country, you're dealing with a new set of values and that can be really challenging. So I think that definitely added to the complexity. Um, So to go back to, you know, your question, um, I personally didn't think there was enough representation and that added to the isolation of, of this experience. Yeah. And even what you were just saying about uh, being open with your journey of sight loss and uh, your prosthetic eye, it, 
really reminds me of a friend of mine who is uh, South Asian as well. And she wrote an article for uh, Fighting Blindness Canada. And it was her first time actually almost coming out the closet of being a person with sight loss, where she was actually writing, I have sight loss. This is my experience. I had to hide it all these years. And I remember talking to her and she was making mention that when she was writing the article, she was shaking. Like when she submitted it, she was shaking because um, similar to uh, the South Asian culture, the African culture is almost where looking at sight loss, it's, it's a hindrance. It's a, it's, I don't want to bring this word back up, but a handicap to to your life. But once you, and I remember after she uh, submitted the article and people read it and she got feedback, she people were like, wow, like, this is amazing. And having that perspective where you, you put it out there, but you put it in a positive sense, people are start to, to waver with that fear. And is this something that you... Um, felt as well when you were kind of letting people know and being free with your sight loss? Yeah, of course. I And I remember exactly how I first shared my story and, and what that feeling was like. I used to work for uh, one of the, the large banks and we had this internal website. Um, and I remember reading a story about one of our executives. She was a Caucasian woman, but she was very vulnerable in this article. And she talked about, she decided to share her story um, of struggling with mental health because she wanted to play her part in reducing stigma. And I remember reading that story and just thinking, I'm going to do this one day. I'm going to do this because mm-hmm. this is an organization where there are so many South Asians and I want to see more representation and maybe, maybe my story will lead that charge. And so I, it was a bit of a personal goal for me to do that. And within two months um, I emailed the the communications team and they were really interested. They interviewed me and my story was released. And I can tell you, Bernard, yes. I was so nervous that I had actually booked a week off and traveled to Vancouver to see my family because I was so afraid and nervous about Mm. how this was going to be perceived. I had never done this before. Mm. And to my surprise, it was met with such a positive uh, response and feedback. I had executives from across the organization of all different backgrounds reaching out to me. I had so many South Asians and people of color within my organization Mm -hmm. thanking me for, you know, sharing my story. And then they started to open up to me about things that they have been struggling with, regardless of what it was. It, It could have been something related to mental health, anxiety, uh, a physical difference, or uh, a limitation of some sort that they have experienced. And that is when I really started to see the power in, in sharing my story. It, I saw that it immediately created this openness for other people to feel safe to share their stories. And 
I think after that day, I just never turned back. I said, I'm, I'm going to keep doing this. And if that means I have to be do a little bit more outreach to reach certain communities, I'll do that. And, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned the. thank you for sharing the story about your friend um, and her taking the opportunity to share her story. Yes. What I want to do with One Eye Collective and what we have been doing is uh, we've been giving our platform for people of the community um, to share their stories. And a lot of them, it's the first time. Some of them have never done it before. And it's incredibly empowering because when they share their story, they get a lot of positive responses. They meet with new people. And it's it's just getting over that limiting belief that their story is not important and that they should have shame around it. So uh, that is something that One Eye Collective takes a lot of pride in. We have a monthly newsletter that we distribute uh, digitally. And every month we feature a story called I Hero. Mm. And it's open to anyone that would like to share their story. And, um, you know, they are an I Hero because going through an experience like this is not easy and it builds some incredible skills. And I think as a society, regardless of what your background is, we need to reframe how we see disability and vision loss and vision impairments. It's not a hindrance. It's nothing to be ashamed of. It's your reality is just a little different. That doesn't make it any less important or anything that you should have to hide. In fact, let's use our stories to educate people and build awareness about the unique skills and perspectives that we build as a result of the things that we go through. Well said, Nav. Oh, I I agree with you two hundred percent with uh, what you're making mention on. It's it's about liberation. It's about uh, flipping the script and looking at uh, disability, more specifically uh, sight loss, as a positive and as a resiliency and. And that goes uh, into um, my next question, where we were actually having a discussion uh, prior to this podcast, and you made mention of um, different um, ways to show beauty to sight loss uh, in terms of like modeling and in terms of representation in in mainstream. So uh, even if you could share a little bit more about uh, mentorship and representation in terms of uh, those different outlets. Yeah, I'd love to. This is a, a great, great topic. So, you know, along with storytelling and being liberated by sharing your story, I wanted to take it one step further and really, really see how we can further um, you know, represent people of of South Asian backgrounds in just even in the general media. I mean, social media is great, but sometimes the reach isn't always there. And so I started researching uh, inclusive modeling agencies, and I came across one uh, based in the UK. They're called Zebedee Talent, and they have been doing some incredible work. They have quite a big roster I have a couple of friends that are signed with them and that's how um, 
I really started to see, you know, the, the, the impact they're making. They, they are now in Australia. I think they're in Japan and they just recently opened up some offices in the United States. And this space of inclusive modeling is really, really growing. So I think if there's a great opportunity um, to get involved, if that's something that you feel comfortable doing. And uh, when I came across this agency, I reached out to them. So I've signed with them. Uh, but this was all before I found out about another agency <laughs> in Canada called Kello. And they are, I, I don't even know if they're a, a year since launch, um, but I had the privilege of meeting the founders um, last week. And, um, you know, they are doing some incredible work. The founders' names are Katie and Austin, I believe. And uh, you can look them up or we'll have their links in the show notes. Mm -hmm. And they essentially created an inclusive agency because there wasn't one in Canada. And we're such a big country. We have so many people. We have such a diverse population. And our stories need to be told. And they have a daughter that has a disability. And they realize through her experience um, that this this area was just incredibly untapped. So they wanted to get into it. They wanted to help other people share their stories and bridge the gap between art and people or persons with disabilities. And so we connected and, um, you know, we'll, we're going to be working together in the new year. And um, I'm really excited about that. And so I guess with that, what I'd say is, if you are passionate about being an advocate and sharing your story and and you believe in representation, especially if you're a person of color or you know you have um, intersectional identities, this would be a great opportunity. And I, I hope that this inspires more organizations um, to have a more diverse lens, even in their marketing, um, how they design products. And just how they connect with their audiences, because we're not all just one type, you know, we all have unique needs, uh, we have unique experiences, and brands should really capitalize um, on the fact that there are agencies out there that are willing to work with them to better represent all of those different voices. I love it. I love it. And I may have to quit my day job and uh, check into <laughs> <laughs> that modeling agency. The only thing I'd be afraid of fall off the stage if it's ever uh, a fashion show for sure. Uh, but now nah, that's such a great resource because uh, once again, what it does, it flips the script, right? It shows the beauty of, of disability and uh, the fact that everybody's represented you you see individuals with disabilities uh different races different cultures different religions and i find that just very beautiful and that's that's why like i said in this episode i love doing the lens living diverse and i love guests like yourself to give these gems because i didn't know about uh that um the modeling agency yeah yeah, so definitely thank you. And then also, is there other um, mentorship uh, representation that you came across that you're delivering? And I know you made mention of the One Eye Collective. If you yeah. would like to go into any more details about the organization. Yeah, just to kind of 
expand on the whole mentorship thing. Um, as I mentioned, when I was in my organization, it was it was the first time where I had access to stories and individuals who were empowered to share their story. And that really inspired me. And it took a really long time for me to find people like that. And so I'm really grateful, you know, for my um, employers and the opportunities that I've had through my career and attending various events where I get exposure to these kinds of individuals. And mentorship does exist. Um, and for anyone that has a disability or um, sight loss, I know it can be harder to find these resources, but I encourage you to be curious, listen to podcasts, um, you know, to read books, um, pay attention to the news. There are people out there that are doing wonderful things. Don't give up. Um, and if you feel that no one relates to you, I, I assure you that there is probably someone out there that feels the same way as you. So, um, yeah, keep your hopes up. Um, don't give up. That I, I certainly didn't. And I think it was my hope that kind of when the opportunity finally came, I just went for it. But it was always within me. And and I'm sure if you if you feel something about this and you feel like you want to make a difference, that's pretty special. Don't let go of that. And it may make you angry. It may make you sad. And it may make you really excited and a whole bag of other emotions. But that just means you're really passionate. And when you're passionate, you you know, law of attract, I believe in law of attraction and mm -hmm. uh, the the signs of the universe and manifestation, it will come to you. And where this world is only becoming more interconnected. So it's, it's going to be a matter of time outside of uh, the modeling agencies. And through my career, I would say the other places that I found mentorship were definitely through uh, organizations like the CNIB. That's how mm -hmm. I met you. Um, there are always going to be organizations, big or small, that are advocating for, um, you know, the, the the causes that we're passionate about. And sometimes they're hard to find. And you know, with the CNIB, they weren't hard to find. But <laughs> I have built, yeah, this is a relationship I've been building for years. And over time, I have finally connected with people that I really um you know, we share similar passions like Bernard, you and I. So um, I think there's there's a lot out there that we can take advantage of in, in our own um, empowerment stories. So um, now given all of that, like where is One Eye Collective trying to bridge the gap? So as I mentioned, we did launch a uh, digital newsletter where we're using our platform to not only share the stories of people who are I heroes, um, you know, this is anyone that has gone through some sort of adversity with uh, their vision or their eyes, you are an I hero and we want to share your story. And if this is something that you're interested in, you can check out the show notes um, for links on how to how to uh, get in touch with us. In addition to that, we also like to feature every month an organization or a cause that is committed to empowering or supporting people with vision impairment. So that can be perhaps an eye doctor who is running free accessible clinics on the weekend, or it could be an organization that is um, making 
custom, uh, you know, conformers or artificial eyes that are unique to the person's um, design preference, which is a cool thing that's really happening. So it's it's just an opportunity to kind of introduce uh, someone or, or a unique service that's available to people in the vision loss community. In addition to the newsletter, um, another thing that I've actually been working on with the CNIB is uh, potentially coming up with a um, a workshop or support group that will launch sometime in the new year. This will be open to everyone, but we really want to take a focus on uh, the you know the less represented communities, such as the South Asian community. Um, and create a support group, a peer support group where they can feel safe and learn about the different tools and resources that are available to them, whether it's through CNIB, through Vision Loss Rehab, um, or other government-funded programs and resources that are available that people might not be taking advantage of. Mm -hmm. um, and in, in addition to the resources, we want to make it fun and collaborative. So we might do a workshop on teaching people how to play an instrument that have vision loss. Mm -hmm. And these workshops will be um, available in both uh, in person and online as well. So we will be releasing more information about these workshops um, sometime after the new year. And lastly, the other thing that uh, we're really passionate about is obviously reducing stigma in any way that we can. So I am a huge creative at heart, even though I spent a lot of years in the corporate world. Mm. I love videography, photography. So we're always looking for ways to run campaigns and reduce disability stigma. And I really hope in the future, Bernard, we can work on something together yeah. to, mm -hmm. um, you know, launch some kind of campaign where people can see an ad or read an article and see someone that looks like them and, um, you know, get people more engaged and embracing their, their new realities. Yes, I, th I totally agree. And we will definitely speak offline about so many ideas because even as you're speaking, I had just a flutter of, <laughs> of different ideas. And I'm afraid if I give it away on the podcast, it, it might be taken away from me, but no, not that that's a bad away, thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's a bad thing. And, and I just love what you're doing with One Eye Collective because at the same time as expressing awareness at the same time as uh, taking away that taboo and that stigma it's that creative nature and I I really look at these programs and the one thing I think about when I think about mentorship and representation especially when you put all these identities together I think about young young people and the young people who have to go through sight loss who have a different culture who they in exactly like you were making mention you see someone who is not the same race as you but has the same disability or even vice versa so it's so important that we we bridge all these gaps and i'm going to go into and, and i'm curious i'm going to go into um being a south asian a woman and then having a disability as well. And was there any like 
kind of contrasts, especially the beliefs of uh, your culture as well when it comes to uh, those two identities? As I mentioned probably a little bit earlier when you asked me about the, you know, my different identities and being a part of a family unit where you have these old views and traditions and values um, clashing with the new views. And I think the conversation of disability is is a great example of of that contrast of, of values. Um, as I mentioned in what I saw growing up was people that definitely went through hardships. Uh, I can I can think of a few people in my family that have had some kind of disability or physical impairment, but it was never spoken about. Mm -hmm. It was just like, oh, that's the uncle with the leg. Mm -hmm. That's the uncle with the funny eye. You know what I mean? It was was like there were labels, but Mm -hmm. there was very little understanding. And um, there was a lot of sympathy. I find that the immediate response is, I feel really sorry for you. Oh, you poor thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, that girl, you know, your daughter. Oh my God, we feel so sorry for her. And, you know, I think what we have to realize is the negative impact of that. Um, that doesn't set someone up for success. That sets someone up to feel like they should feel sorry for themselves, that mm-hmm. they're a victim. Instead, we should number one, allow people to talk about what they want to talk about. And if they want to be open about their disability, it shouldn't be anyone's decision and they shouldn't be judged for that. And and I think that's a big clash because myself, I, I'm, I'm the first one in my family, or maybe second, I, I do have a another family member who, um, you know, in her own right, she's been quite vocal about her experiences, but it, it it is a little isolating when you're the only one in the family that really sees challenges with the old paradigm and you want to make a difference, but there's still a lot of people that don't want to leave that paradigm and mm-hmm. you have to just accept it that everyone is on their own path. Um, I'm happy to say that in my experience, I think my family, they definitely understand that this is something that I'm really passionate about and they're supportive of that. Um, It took a really long time for them to come Mm -hmm, around, mm -hmm. um, but eventually we got there. And for anyone that is at that intersection of, you know, whether you're a, a woman of color or you come from a ethnic background and you haven't seen people like yourself or no one in your family or community, has spoken about these things, just know that you're not alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are people out there that are experiencing that. For example, I'm South Asian. You know, my parents are from India and your family is from Ghana, but we have a lot of similarities in the sense that this isn't something that was really, really widely spoken about, let alone advocated for within our communities. So sometimes you're going to be a bit of a pioneer and, and that is a challenge, but um, I keep going back to adversity builds character and um you know just going back to the experience of being a south asian woman and having a vision impairment i do want to talk about something that's a little bit more sensitive and that is um you know just the stigma around appearance Mm -hmm. and beauty and there is a lot of emphasis on a woman's appearance and her abilities 
And for some reason, when you have a disability or some, you know, I know women with, with illnesses, chronic illnesses, you're looked at as a woman that may not be able to, you know, be like the average woman, which is so unfair and so not true mm -hmm. just because your abilities might slightly differ or you have to manage your condition doesn't mean that you are less capable of being a mother for example mm -hmm. or taking care of yourself or or, or your family so I, I think there is a lot of stigma around that and i've spoken to other women that identify as south asian with disabilities and they've kind of echoed the same thing that there's been um this belief that they they are somehow less capable mm. and i think i think this is a, a huge you know um it's it's just not true um if you if you look at a lot of people that do have disabilities they've accomplished great things and this is why i think campaigning is so important when you share the stories of people who have gone through physical adversity or mental adversity, but still accomplished great things, whether they, mm -hmm. you know, have a family, run a business, um, you know, doing something in the community. We, we need to amplify these stories and rephrase um, or reframe them from being a victim to being someone who's resilient and has a diverse set of skills. Exactly. And I like the point what you brought up once it's a physical disability or a known disability it's almost like you're broken and it's almost where people associate physical uh, something physical with success and with how you're doing and i i such a good point that you brought up where just because you have a disability it doesn't mean you're like missing out it doesn't mean you're you're not going to succeed exactly yeah it's i don't know why or when this association was made um but it's not true we need to we need to have a little bit more of an open mind and not be so judgmental um, especially when we don't completely understand what the nature of the mm -hmm. disability is um be open and be curious and you never know disability can impact you it could impact a family member and I find that a lot of people unless they are um, you know they've had a, an immediate family member or or work in close proximity to anyone that's had a disability there there is this um, judgment you know and mm -hmm. so you could say it could be about experience but it doesn't have to be that way um, inform yourself and you know that only helps you because you never know in in, in uh, you know as a manager you may have an employee with a disability or you may have a manager a colleague like I said your child a friend you don't know when someone may um, go through something and it's it's just good to have a more open mindset and be more inclusive to everyone and their experiences and instead of leading with judgment because we may also learn something exactly and this is why i'm so excited about uh organizations such as the one eye collective such as the cnib uh what you're doing in the community so so excited because 
uh, it's bringing awareness, it's advocating, and it's definitely making a change and uh, triggering uh, new ways of thinking for sure. So this leads me into the last uh, question. I I don't want to ask the last question because I feel like it means that we'll end our episode <laughs> after. And it's been such great conversation. Uh, so I know it's been scattered throughout the podcast and you, you touched upon it a lot uh, already, but I guess to wrap it up in a neat little package, uh, what advice would you provide people who are experiencing similar circumstances to your own? I'm thinking of two things. So firstly, there's the experience of having a a vision impairment, being blind in one eye and wearing an artificial eye. There's certainly that aspect of it. And um, also identifying as, as someone of color. But then the other aspect is being of you know, South Asian background and having to deal with all of the adversities that come with that and living with a vision impairment. Um, so I'm hoping this advice can kind of cover both of those two areas. Uh, but firstly, I want to say that I think the most important thing we can do is be there for ourselves. And that's done through building um self-worth. I think there are a lot of things in life that can erode self-worth and being or, or having a disability can certainly do that um, because of the things that we discussed. There's a lot of stigma. Sometimes um, there's the isolation piece. There's going through the physical experience of having a disability and having those limitations, those things can really add up and they can, they can really affect your mental health. Mm -hmm. And so I think we have to be aware of that um, and not deny that, not suppress it. And if you are aware of it, know that there are things we can do to make sure we do manage our mental health as best as we can. And one of that is knowing that there is support available um, I used to have this terrible fear of not asking for help, but ever since I started to share my story and built a little bit more comfort around saying how I feel and asking for support, it it's come. And that's been a big shift in, in how I feel about myself. And so for anyone out there who's listening, who has felt the impacts, um, mentally, psychologically, emotionally, do know that there is support out there. Um, you know, organizations like CNIB and One Eye Collective exist. We're here because we want to support this community and let people know they're not alone and that your experience is very, very real. So that would be my first piece of advice. Like make sure you are getting, um, you know, your needs met and, and don't suppress them because that only makes things worse. Um, secondly, I would say, don't be afraid to reach out and connect with people. Um, if you, whether it's organizations like CNIB or One Eye Collective, or there's an individual out there who you're really fond of, you never know where that connection can go. Um, I have met incredible people around the world who wear artificial eyes or have experienced vision um, loss and those connections, those relationships are so incredibly important because 
it reminds me that, that I haven't, I'm not the only one experiencing these things. So I think there's definitely a power of relationships and connections. And with social media, it's so much easier to connect with, with people. Having a community is really, really important. And then lastly, I would say, if you feel that you, if you've experienced injustice and you feel angry or sad about it, that is a sign that you're passionate. You're passionate about this. So get involved. Um, it can really, really make a big difference in how you see yourself, how you see your disability um, or whatever experience you've gone through. It it really helps us make sense of things and feel like you didn't just go through this for nothing. You went through it because your experience is going to help other people. And it's a really rewarding feeling. So I'd say I, I think those three things are pieces of advice that I wish I was given um, when I first went through um, my experience and, and losing my eye. If I if I really knew these things and, and felt them, I think I would have gotten to this place a lot sooner. Great pieces of advice, Nav. <laughs> Great pieces. I, I was definitely jotting them down for sure as the listeners should be jotting them down for sure. And um, advocacy is key, asking for help, uh, just being vulnerable and sharing your stories, some great pieces of advice. And uh, just in general, the great pieces of advice and great resources. And definitely I will be putting the modeling agency into the show notes as well as the one I collective. But at this moment, Nav, I just want to thank you for coming on and sharing your story and um, informing the listeners about just so much that's going on. Honestly, it's been such a pleasure to be here and speak to you about something that I'm so passionate about. Thank you for putting this podcast together and, and giving people like me a platform. Um, I, I hope we can do it again or definitely get some other opportunity to work together and um yeah i i had a lot of fun of course i'll be knocking on your door <laughs> <laughs> excellent so uh once again thank you for tuning into the lens living diverse if you enjoyed today's podcast as well as many podcasts that we did in the past you could like and subscribe to your favorite platforms uh once again just hit the like or subscribe and we're have so many platforms that we're available on. Also, if you'd like to know more about advocacy with the CNIB, you can visit www.cnib.ca and then just click on the advocacy uh, portion and then go to We Are CNIB for the diversity and inclusion. And lastly, if you have any input or interested in taking part of the Lens Living Diverse, you can email us at advocacy at cnib.ca. Once again, advocacy at cnib.ca. So, like I said, once again, thank you for tuning into the Lens Living Diverse. I was your host, Ben, and I hope everybody has a wonderful day. Peace. Bye. Bye.